This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast and Merry Christmas. It's a special show today in more ways than one. Firstly, though, it's a very special show because we have not one, but two guests for you today in football analyst Jordan Weimer and football journalist Tom Burdell, both Watford fans as well. Merry Christmas to you guys first. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Thanks for having me again. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas to you both. And and nice to finally talk to Jordan properly, having uh, tweeted one another a little bit. (laughs) Good stuff. Twitter is a world where you can you can chat to people without ever meeting them, and it's great, isn't it? Uh, right. Obviously, there is a very big piece of Watford news that's broken in the last twenty four hours, and uh, well, I thought yesterday's disappointing result, followed by the announcement of Tier Four, couldn't really get much worse. But then the shocking news—I guess it comes in threes, doesn't it? They say. And at ten p.m. last night, Watford Football Club released a statement, and it said uh, it said this: Watford FC confirms the departure of head coach Vladimir Ivic with immediate effect. Ivic's coaching staff, who will also be leaving Vicarage Road. The Hornets would like to thank Ivic and his staff for their efforts this season and wish them all well for the future success. Uh, no further comment is available from the club. Now, first things first, uh, and I'll start with you, Tom. Was this expected? I think it was in purely in the sense that John Percy uh, of The Telegraph had, had tweeted that it was going to happen. Um, and he's always been very hot on the the Watford news over the last few years. It's a pretty reliable source in that respect. So I think uh, in the immediate aftermath, it was it was fairly expected. Also, a friend of mine messaged me who was very much in the Ivic out camp and said, I'm heartened by the fact there's been absolutely nothing from the club uh, on their social media channels since full time. So I think that might spell the end for Ivic. But I think if you take it further back than that, I think it kind of was as well, to be honest, if, if you disregard all that, those kind of pointers that purely on the basis of the, the performances just were not getting better. And, and we know that, that Pozzo and, and Scott Duxbury are not men to kind of sit idly by. They will act um, if they think it's in the best interest of the club, regardless of what outside sources, uh, outside commentators might think. And, and people have been naturally kind of sceptical as, as usual. The, the Gary Linekers of this world have, have said their piece and been pretty scathing. But, you know, Pozzo and Duxbury don't kind of, for all their faults and that there are there are faults, they don't kind of kowtow to popular opinion. They do they do what they think is best for their football club. Mm. Jordan, did you see it coming? 
I mean, I think if if you watch the games and you you're keeping up not just with the scores, but you're actually watching the performances, then I think you can probably you can feel there's a discontent from from fans, and I'm sure if if we're feeling that way, the owners are feeling the same way because they're watching the same performances we are. So he was underperforming in terms of in terms of the, the way the team was playing, and if you're doing that, and in a league as as close as it is in the championship, you have to be more consistent. You have to have runs of form, and it just didn't look like that was going to happen. Um, I mean, I, I just think at this club, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be a situation where we're gonna ride things out to, to the degree that we'd have to with Ivic. So, yeah, I think it was, it was something that was always on the cards. And as time goes on, it's just naturally you feel it kind of looming. Maybe a little bit close, a uh, little bit sooner than I expected. In some ways, I thought maybe we'd, we'd see Nor- the Norwich game first, but um, yeah, it was kind of on the cards. Well, let's have a quick look at, at yesterday's game because that was the final nail in the coffin, really, for Ivic. It was a disappointing 2-0 defeat away to Huddersfield. And it all began with, with a, a Ben Foster mistake. A Ben Foster who's been so reliable this season. Uh, I think when we're talking about like the individual like performances and stuff, I think it, especially with someone like Foster, we've seen that he can do stuff like that against Arsenal with Aubameyang. And he, he, the ball at his feet is something that Foster's he's never really been particularly comfortable with. And I think he maybe overcomplicates it a little bit at times when we're trying to play a bit more of a possession-based game. So, yeah, that's extremely frustrating. It was, it was annoying. But I think for me, from the performance, it was similar to what we've seen before. But I think what we started to see, especially in this game too, is that that level of uh, that level of effort from the players just didn't quite seem there I, I know we discussed before about the intensity that's coming from the players and we saw a lack of that again but I do think even if there's just this 5-10% drop off from the players it, ma- it makes a huge impact especially in, in that sort of game and I just think we struggled to really to really cope with that I did, I did notice after the after the first goal we conceded it felt like there was a, a bit of a up an upbeat kind of feeling to the team not just just an intensity improved and they were they were more positive and they were more aggressive and things started to to look better whilst they weren't great they were still lacking a lot they just had that extra extra bit to them and, and things improved and you do have to question why we weren't seeing that from from them in other games and other parts of games and other other times because Ivic didn't do anything differently. There was no time to make any changes. There was no communication between him and the players. It was just a switch in mentality and, and things were different. So you do have to kind of look back on previous games and maybe wonder how much of that was down to the players and, and how much was down to Ivic. It's kind of, it's hard to say, but you definitely have to consider it. So I think the game as a whole was extremely frustrating, just kind of went along the same lines as the, the previous games, especially them away performances. And another mistake that came uh, almost moments later was uh, came the courtesy of Etienne Capu, who hasn't really been himself since he's started getting back into the team after his time out. And it was uh, another calamity, really. He scored an own goal when maybe it would have been easy to head the ball away. Tom, what did you think of... Uh... Yeah, I'm not really sure what he was doing, to be honest. It didn't look like a ball that needed to be, I don't know, attacked the way he attacked it, if that kind of makes sense it it kind of sums up I think the the Foster era and then the own goal kind of sums up not our luck but we have been winning games Jordan and I were just discussing this off air beforehand with either it seems screamers penalties or you know errors from the opposition or, or kind of freak goals and you know particularly the, the goal against Stoke where the ball gets barged over the line and so on and we've been getting away with it and it just felt on a day where although it wasn't a great performance by any means we did create openings let's say maybe if not chances uh we were punished by two kind of you know complete freak moments uh you, i think we immediately saw there were there were graphics and whatnot shared 
after his return to the team, uh, you know, sort of showing the the, dis- the distance he covers, the, the the areas he covers, I should say, and the propensity to break up play and, and, and pick the ball, pick up loose balls and so on. But it doesn't feel like he's grabbed hold of a game in the way that he kind of can. Not that he's a mm. midfielder that does grab hold of a game, but, you know, his, his moment, he's a moments player, I think, probably. And we've not really seen those moments either that I'm thinking the the, the raking passes or, you know, using those long legs to break up potentially dangerous uh, opposition attacks and so on. It just, it just, it feels like he's not giving, almost giving a hundred percent. I hate that argument about that observation about players, but in in the past, I think it would be easy to say of Kapu in his earlier years at Watford, you know, you felt there was more to come and it still feels that way now, mm. given the, the, the levels that we have seen in the past at, you know, a higher level anyway in the Premier League. I think when you're talking about giving 100% too, it's not just about the player actively deciding to put an effort. It's a level of yeah. players just play differently when they're enjoying their football and when things are going well or if they're playing a position they're enjoying. or You know, it, it changes things. And to to me, the, the Kapu goal was actually probably less forgivable than the Foster goal. I think Foster was trying to, he's trying to play the way that he's been told to play and he's trying to keep possession. And he's he, technically, he just doesn't have the ability to do that consistently enough in them situations. And he, he made a mistake and that's, that's lack of ability. That's not lack of effort. And, you know, he's got other other areas of his game that make up for that. But with Kapu, I just think it's I think I think it's lack of effort. I think it's laziness. Uh, if if we're in that situation, if we're in the Premier League again and we're two on up against Man United or something, and the ball comes in the box like that, I don't think Kapu's swinging at it, you know, casually with his foot. No. I think it's a I think it's a lack of focus, and I think you you can argue you can argue whether that's his fault or whether it's the manager's fault or both. It, you know, it, whatever. It, ultimately, to me, it's the same thing because you don't see them sort of things happen from Kapu and he's playing well, and no. he's not he's not playing poorly because he can't he can't perform at this level. It's 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 because of application. So that bleeds into the whole team and it it, it has an effect on everyone. So it's very difficult to overcome but unfortunately that's just not good enough and Kapu can do a lot better than that um, in terms of how he's played in general I think yeah you're right he's not he's not taking hold of games but he um, while he's not maybe that dominant box to box midfielder that's going to control a game like in, in that sense he does control our tempo and he has done for the last few years and he yeah. he, make, he plays a big part when he's on the pitch and I think honestly for me I think if Ivic was to succeed I, I saw Kapu being a big part of that and if you can't if you can't get him performing then you know it makes things very difficult and you'd hope to see an improvement going forward but he's not the only one we need to see it from a lot of them at half time uh it, it was uh pretty evident that changes needed to be made in fact uh, in the commentary tommy mooney said we need to get Dini on now uh Dini stayed on the bench the subs that were made didn't feel like the right sort of subs to get watford back into the game and so it proved we then later found out that there was something more to this than met the eye. A dis- disciplinary was the word that was being used. Uh, I can tell you the comments that he well, says after the game. He said he didn't start because he played a lot of full games recently. And then he goes on. I believe that he was, wasn't ready to play from the beginning, but the reason he wasn't able to come on was a discipline issue. Uh, and when asked if Dini had a future at the club, if it added, I don't know. We will see. It's between us. And I don't want to speak about this. I'm the coach and I know what is my responsibility. So clearly there was some sort of discipline issue, but what that is, we can't really say. We can speculate though. Um, Jordan? Uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but Adam Leventer, um wrote a piece yeah. of Athletic where he talked about uh, he talked about a possible miscommunication between Ivic and Dini, where Ivic wanted to have a meeting with Troy after after announcing the team the lineup the day before. Troy was having a massage and said he'd come afterwards, and then ended up 
not being able to find Ivic and the meeting didn't happen and there was some sort of uh, issue arose from that. So it may be something more simplistic. Maybe there was some tension and this is just kind of something that, you know, annoyed Ivic and it created this this kind of animosity between them. Um, it, it kind of, you kind of get the sense that maybe Troy didn't feel like he was in particularly informed there was an issue before comments were made in the media, which maybe kind of didn't help things even further. So, I mean, it's very difficult to say we're talking about what's happening inside the club and there's so many nuances and factors that we're just mm. not privy to. But um, yeah, I mean, clearly there was some issue there. But I mean, it, it was always going to be something that we felt like was going to be a clash, them two personalities. And it's, it's kind of a shame that it has to be in that sense. And it, it just takes away from... From what should be, you know, a working relationship between the manager and and, and the captain, we, this kind of feeling of of tension between the two. I mean, we we kind of thought similar things when Pearson arrived, even as well. And mm. it, it's just it just gets a little bit tiring to to keep having the same the same thought about your captain. I think it's just a regardless of who's in the right or who's in the wrong, it's just it's just a clash of of personalities, and we've got to be better in how we deal with that as a club. I think. What I found particularly ridiculous about those those comments from Ivic, that was all I'd, I'd seen apart from the the, the Levantile piece. He said, you know, he, he didn't bring him on because of the disciplinary issues. Well, if you're so pissed off with the bloke that you weren't going to bring him on because of this indiscretion that evidently, assuming it had happened prior to the game based on what Adam Levantile's reporting, why did you put him on the bench anyway? You either create the story by not including him in the match day 20 uh, at all, and people are inevitably going to ask about that. But you say, there was an issue. We have picked someone on the bench that we were going to potentially use. Or if the issue is uh, something that happens, well, regardless when the issue happens, you put them on the bench, you don't then come out and say, to my mind, oh, there was a discipline issue. Just say, you know, it was a tactical thing. It was a, a selection thing. That was that was why we didn't pick, we start him or pick him. He's made that issue for himself. Now, maybe, obviously, that was intentional. He thought he was going to, you know, last a bit longer, potentially even outlast Dini with the, the January transfer window only around the corner and what he said about, you know, his future and, and, and so on. But it just, I don't know, it just seems to create an issue where there there, there needn't have been one. And if the, the thing about that the Avon Ledenthal has reported, if I can get his name out without tripping over my own tongue, uh, has, has reported is if there's anything in that, then it just seems so pathetic, doesn't it? They tried to have a discussion and, and iron it out before it became an issue. And 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 because Dini couldn't find Ivic, he's you know evidently something's blown up and it's been blown out. Well, it just it just seems ridiculous. But as as Jordan said, given how strong-willed and straight down the line and and so on, Ivic is, it always seemed likely that he and Dini were going to butt heads um, at at some point. I will defend Ivic a bit, and I, I do feel like I I think a lot of us have felt that there is a a slight undermining of coaches that we have, and I I think that when he yeah. came in, he was he was pretty vocal about the fact he wasn't going to have that, and I think if the club are releasing them sort of comments and and quoting that, I do feel like I think the club as a whole was behind that too. I think that was an issue they were trying to address by hiring someone like Ivic, um, and you know it wouldn't it's not beyond belief to me at all that. That that Dini is difficult to work with for a manager like that, and quite frankly, I'm quite I was quite pleased that Ivic was going to take that approach. And maybe I mean I don't know the we don't know the ins and outs of exactly what happened, but maybe it was more reasonable just, just benching Troy to begin with was uh, was a reasonable decision that it was maybe a bit self sabotaging to to refuse to use him at all. Um, maybe the punishment was going a little bit too far there, but he's you know he's proud bloke and a bit stubborn in that sense, and it it becomes this kind of this war of attrition between the two of them, but. In the end, it's the club that suffers and it's the team that suffers, I guess. So, 
yeah, it, it's difficult. But if that's if that's how Vladimir operates, I'm sure the club knew that when they hired them. So if it's a bad fit for the dressing room, that's not all we need. Then we've got to do a better job assessing that and, and evaluating it properly before we hire him. Because these situations are going to arise, especially when you have personalities like Troy in the team, um, and when you give them such responsibility, then yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a clash, and it's. You know, again, it's just it's an issue that just added to something that if you took out this this issue in itself, there'd still be the problems that needed addressing. So I guess maybe it was kind of highlighted even more by the fact that we lost the game in the manner we did and and things felt like they were kind of at a breaking point. This just kind of became even even bigger news. Okay, so off the back of um, Troy Deeney, fresh fresh off the press, we've had the, we've had a, a statement come out from the club, uh, from the CEO and chairman, Scott Duxbury, actually. I'll read it out for you. It says, Nobody at the club is in any doubt over Troy Deeney's high level of professionalism in his work. Troy is quick to hold his hands up when his conduct has fallen short of the required standard, but we are satisfied that it was not the case. Uh, there will be no hangover from this. We must move on, and Troy, as club captain, will play a major role in achieving our aims this season, Chairman and CEO Scott Duxbury. Uh guys, what do you what do we think of that, Jordan? Um, it's a little bit unnecessary to me. Um obviously now we've just we've just seen this, we're just kind of digesting it as uh, as we're talking. But look, I think I think everyone can I think everyone can kind of side with understand what they're saying. I also think there's a people had a lot of sympathy for what Ivich was saying too. I, I think I don't know. Maybe the fan base is a little bit split in how they how they feel about Troy, and, and we can't just use Twitter to gauge that opinion. I guess um, it's just it just feels a bit odd, doesn't it? It just feels a bit unnecessary to have to go into the level of detail and, and talk about this specific incident. I, I think it's it's an issue that's that's become bigger than perhaps it needed to have, but it, it's just it's just not necessary. I just don't, I just don't think it's something that needs to be particularly needs to be commented on and it, as we as we were saying it, it plays into that narrative that that Troy holds this level of power, power amongst the club that he in my opinion probably doesn't hold to that degree but then when when things like this are said it's just going to f- add fuel to that fire so uh, for me it's just a bit odd personally what about you guys if that's what they were trying to achieve if they were trying to sort of distance themselves from that idea and whatever then it's completely backfired hasn't it because I mean, yeah. you know, virtually they might as well have given Troy Deeney the, the, the password to the club Twitter account, mind that. It's just complete, you know, Troy Deeney propaganda, which is not something he needs, quite frankly. It's, it's, it's laughable. It's a pathetic way to run a football club. I'm a little bit angry about it, to be honest, because quite apart from the fact it, it effectively undermines anything uh, Vladimir said yesterday, which, you know, as head coach at the time, he had the right to say, and we, we talked, you know, already about perhaps being a bit naive to bring that issue out into the open, but it is his prerogative. It effectively kneecaps the next manager as well and says, this is a stipulation of your employment, you are going to have to work with this guy who, by the way, reserves the right seemingly to to kick off and, and, and be unhappy. I mean, this is what, you know, the, the kind of perception is. But, you know, I just, I, as you say, Jordan, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's a level of detail we just did not need to go into and it's actually quite a dangerous thing to do. Well, that's a, it's a good point as well, Tom. You, you kind of kneecap your manager because you then bring in someone that, you know, that you're basically saying Troy, is, is, as the captain, will play a major role in achieving our aims this season. We're not talking about a 32-year-old goalkeeper. We're talking about a 32 two-year-old striker and so many systems are reliant on one player up front and and, uh, and then suddenly you've, you've got to in, include Troy because he's a captain you've you've got to have him involved as a major role it's just it's just a strange way of going about things I understand like don't I mean we're not talking about we're not talking about someone that's 
able to be overly productive every week is one thing if you're talking about your you know your 20 it's one thing if you're talking about Troy Deeney in the promotion season that's a different animal we're talking about something completely different there mm. and if you want to come out and make that statement then fine maybe I can feel a bit differently about it but right now it's just so strange to tie yourself and, and, and limit yourself even if Troy was the the best option then fine he's going to play but if he's not why why would you why would you restrict whoever's coming into to being forced into in, into playing him and uh, I mean effectively that is what they're saying really and if if then if they're then adapting their their way of finding a ne- the next head coach by making sure it's something that Troy can fit into it's just it's just not worth it he's he's not he's, he doesn't offer enough now to build a team around we're talking about a 32 year old striker if we got promoted this season you got a 33 year old in the premier league it's a very strange way of running the club and i, I just i don't see the upside to this at all Mr. the player who who the club were trying to actively get rid of. This is the thing. As soon as, as not only do you effectively say you have to pick this guy, the second he isn't picked for any reason, that becomes an even bigger story than it already would have been because he was Troy Dean. Because we know it's now mandated by the club that he has to be a central figure in the new head coach's plans. And as you as you rightly say there, Matt, let's not forget. They were evidently trying to get rid of him in the summer. Evidently trying to get rid of him in the summer. They would not have signed Glenn Murray, who is a similar profile of player. To, uh, to they would not have brought him in if they thought for one second Troy Deeney was still around because you know you're, for all the reasons that we've just dis- outlined in this podcast and particularly in relation to this issue you know he is the one that starts he doesn't st- you know Glenn Murray does not start ahead of him and 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 so it's proven so they were evidently trying to plan for a life without Troy Deeney and there's nothing wrong with that but that you know just makes a mockery of the whole thing for me and I think too if you I mean recruitment aside if you if you're just looking, if you're just looking at how how you're running the club, I mean, Troy Dean is on a, on a huge contract, and if an offer came in for him in January, in terms of, if you really feel like he's going to contribute and make a difference, fine. If you if you're really confident that's gonna that's gonna happen, then fine, keep him and see how. Let's just see how it plays out. But if an offer for a loan deal came in with a small loan fee and it got them wages off the book off the books and it gave you a little bit of flexibility to do some other things and make the team better I to just deny yourself the opportunity where if you just didn't comment on it you could you could decide what you want to do given the situation when it comes about but to to, for, for no real benefit just to go out and announce that almost just a it, it feels like just giving a one-up on the it's like it's just a petty reply and response to something a manager said and I think honestly I think when we're talking about Ivich too things like this kind of they kind of further the opinion which a lot of people had and which I can definitely sympathize with in the fact that Ivich's football may not have been what we wanted and it may not have worked that well but from a moral standpoint and just how he conducted himself I think a lot of people respected Ivich and I think this sort of thing just it, it just paint us in a bad light and it just comes across as just ill thought honestly mm. i've just seen a picture here uh, reminding me that uh Ivic, uh won manager of the month for november and uh, uh fired in december <laughs> i mean obviously there's, yeah. there's a lot more to it than just those two images but um just looking at them side by side it's it's amazing uh you know what can happen in a month but it, it, it's more than a month really even in even in november people were well, starting to make noises about the fact they didn't like the way that Ivic was playing and uh, it, it, the style of his football, despite the fact that it was by and large getting results, and that's why Watford had been towards the top of the table for the majority of the season. But um, yeah, I mean that's something we talked about early on too. Is uh, I mean obviously results are the most important thing, but at the same time for me, I, I put a lot, I put a lot of value in the performance, whether it's regardless of how the results turn out with positive performance and bad results and vice versa it still gives you a good indication and yeah he won manager of the month but we, we won man he won man of the manager of the month with some pretty poor performances in there too so yeah i mean that's just it it looks i mean i'm sure it's a great meme 
I'm sure it'll be used a lot, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's certainly not an indication of uh, overall quality of the performances we are seeing. So yeah, but it, it does look rather silly, doesn't it? Since Gino Pozzo and and Doxby have have come here, they've done some really really great things for the club. I mean, the stadium looks amazing. Uh, it completely changed, and obviously we, they brought us Premier League football for for you know a good period of time. But is it fair that we start to point a finger in their direction too just because I mean so many managers 14 managers now if you include Hayden Mullins since they took charge it's you know it feels like at least something needs to be questioned there yeah no I I mean look I think when when they first came in I think one of the reassuring things to us as Watford fans uh, based on what we've, we've experienced previously with ownership is there was a real plan in place um, I think we we felt pretty confident uh, when we started to see how how things were going obviously getting to the playoffs in the first season we, we knew that it was it was kind of over over achieving a little bit to what we were kind of expecting to do, to do. but we were kind of in that in that mode we were going in the right direction we were, we were looking towards promotion the second season was a bit of a, a bit of a blip, but once we got there in the third, we felt confident, and we we felt confident that we had the owners that could push push us forward and and keep us in the Premier League, and they did a good job of that. And we saw that reflected in how we how we hired our managers. I think we we were quite aware of the fact that there's a there's a history for the defensive style manager having success in in the in the first season of the Premier League, and we we made that change and it worked. And I think we were pretty quick in in deciding that it wasn't going to be the best option forward, which as fans we all agreed with. And I can go on and on with. The, the managers that succeeded but I think at the then in their moments we felt pretty confident that we were making the decision based on the football we were seeing and and moving forward and then I think we got to Javi and I, I think maybe we kind of got to the end of that plan without really having the, the next succession in mind I don't mean succession in manager I mean the next step forward and how to kind of to push on as a club and since since that has, has ended and I think we've really been scrambling and improvising and the football has actually been very indicative of, of that off the field um, off the field inability in to kind of have that set plan so I still believe there's there's obviously there's obviously people within the club and the structure that know what they're doing and how to run a football club and as you say they've made some great changes off the field and we've moved in the right direction in some areas but we've we've definitely lost our way uh, in terms of our hiring of managers and for me the recruitment policy as well has, has struggled struggled a little bit too so I think right now it's about actually assessing where we are and and, and working out how to, to best go about it and, and being humble and pretty honest about the mistakes that have been made because I know Scott Duxbury touched on that um, in regards to relegation but I mean we, we haven't we haven't done a good job in terms of actually addressing the issues we've 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 found if we have actually assessed what the the problems are and 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 decided as a club what they are so i mean moving forward there's a lot of work to do but i think it's just yeah we've got to work out where we are now what do you think tom i think everything jordan said makes absolute sense and the club should probably be sent that clip to you know really apply to their thinking and their their structure of the staffing and and, and who gets involved in what and so on going forward because he's nailed it really there there's a fundamental problem somewhere along the line depending on your point of view i think that most of the appointments that have been made recently I think makes sense on paper, but they aren't necessarily joined up when you look at other factors. So, for example, the the appointment of Ivic, great. He evidently knows how to uh, construct a winning team, how to you know 
make a team defensively solid. He clearly has a plan, a way he likes his team to play football, but then you have to give him the tools to do that. So that's where the recruitment part comes under under the spotlight. You know, he's said he's made no secret of the fact that he wanted a left-back. Why on earth did we not find him a left-back? I'm sure if you'd have asked him, that was probably his priority over any other position. But we signed, uh, you know, a centre-forward centre on loan, a central midfielder on loan, um, Trusty Kong comes in and, you know, not criticising that signing specifically, he's obviously been very good and, and hopefully his injury isn't too bad. You know, we signed Sierra Alta. So, you know, we signed plenty of players. We didn't sign a, a left-back and that seems to be, you know, a real bone of contention. So I understand the the model is, you know, not to give the head coach and they are head coach for a reason, you know, all-consuming power that the idea is the head coach can be kind of slotted in and out and uh, everything remain, around him remains, you know, the club's prerogative to to change the, the structure and so on. But I think there has to be a bit of give and take as well. And I think I think that's, you know, in, in this instance where we've fallen down, and that's not to say that's where we've fallen down always with previous managers. I think, you know, most of the appointments make sense. I was a bit taken aback at the time of Nigel Pearson's appointment, for example. But, you know, this was a guy that had, had pulled off great escapes previously and the, 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 the kind of reporting at the time, I think Adam Leventhal was pretty hot on this, was that, the, the players wanted an English manager, British coach uh, at this point. So there's kind of, there's some sense. I'm not going to go back through all of them because it'll take us, take forever and we've all got better things that we want to do on our Sundays. But, you know, they're just, there is a lack of joined up thinking. And I think the thing that has to be, it's probably apt to, to mention uh, now, pertinent to mention now, is the kind of, the panel, I suppose, that will be, tasked with bringing in the next appointment we have you know we have to get this appointment right and 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 who will be involved in that in the past there's been the kind of spectre at the feast of Filippo Giraldi seems that he has gone that was that was certainly reported uh, in the last few weeks but nothing has been said either way to confirm or deny that now he kind of has someone who has historically taken a bit of a bashing on social media and I have sort of said my my stance on it has always been we do we really know what he actually does you know i i find it hard to believe he would be heavily involved in the appointment of a new head coach but you know i think that it, it's all interlinked in a way isn't it that if we're going to give the new man the best opportunity and particularly with the january transfer window you know little over a little over um uh, a little under a fortnight away it's it's absolutely imperative that we get this one right the season is not beyond recovery we are in fifth place but the the performances were trending downwards the suggestion is we would not have kind of turned things around anytime soon we all know the financial imperative of winning promotion at the first attempt uh in the current in the current climate and and with the the wage bill that we have so they have to they just have to they absolutely have to nail this one and give whoever it is, the right infrastructure and support to, uh, you know, really do their, their stuff. I will say as well, there's, there's, there's a bit of, I mean, like everything has a nuance to it too, because in terms of recruitment, I mean, you, you probably could not choose a worse time to get relegated in terms of having to sort out a squad when things are extremely cagey. No one wants to make changes really. And I mean, you see, that's kind of part of how, how Norwich have been able to do so well is because they were kind of ready set for for coming back down the championship and, and being a, 
a cohesive outfit whereas we naturally had to make a lot of changes and I do think we we tried to move things around and we had to sell a few players we didn't want to but it allowed us to keep players that we kind of felt good about and they, they tried to do something positive and the left back thing was frustrating but I mean dealing with like the actual technicalities of transfers can be extremely complicated and, and difficult to to get done in, in, the, in the most normal circumstances so during COVID it's you know everything's heightened it becomes it becomes very difficult especially for a team in our situation so I, I do have sympathy for that but at the same time there's a there's been a, a an issue with recruitment for, for a while and, and hiring coaches that fit the squad we have I mean we we talked to uh, David last week from uh, from a Brentford perspective, and and they're a, they're an, a, a club that have the the recruitment system in place to to hire managers, and they've got that that system there, and they've got the players coming in that are going to suit that, and it's a very different situation to be in because they've been in the Championship and they've been in a stable kind of a stable level where they can they can work out how to recruit, but we've been trying to stay in the league progress and move up and we've had lots of changes and it's very difficult to create that consistency so coming back down you've then got to reshift that squad bring in a manager that suits them and also with an extremely short pre-season window is always going to be difficult to pull off but at the same time I think Ivic has, has shown in previous jobs that he's capable of, of doing better he obviously made mistakes and maybe I misevaluated him in, in some ways too, but I, I do feel like he he could have he could have been successful. But there's just there's so many factors playing a part in why it wasn't. I think it's harsh to blame just the manager or just the club, but I think there is yeah. definitely you definitely should be able to point out reasons why it didn't work. And I think you can you can look at both both parties for that. I think the thing is for us is the one consistency is the club, and it's not worked on numerous times. And you have to be asking yourself why isn't it like what part of the what part part of the process are we getting wrong is it the players is it the men is it the the types of people that we're we're getting to play for us is it the the types of players they are is it how they're performing is it the managers we're choosing is it the, like you know there's 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 a ton of reasons it could be but clearly we haven't identified what it is because we keep ending up in the same situation and as you say I think Nigel Pearson was the first one where it really kind of felt it felt a little bit strange and that wasn't just because it was a British manager I think it was because we've always had these these points we've got to and we had quite a good record for a while of only only hiring coaches in in the end of seasons when we had that time to have a full preseason and actually sorry no I'm wrong it's not Pearson it's the return of Flores that was the first time that actually yeah, that felt like a mad. truly troubling time and yes that was and before I think we were able to defend the club as fans as you naturally do anyway but you you do feel like as fans we had a bit more of an understanding of how we operate and we got to see all the games and we we know that the the club is changing coaches regardless of getting to FA Cup quarter uh, semi-finals and staying in the league you know why they're changing the coach because we can see that to progress and to even stay up you have to make them changes and we had the plan but I, th I think once we got once we got to that second season with Gracia and and they didn't start well we we panicked early and we decided to, to change things I think our proactivity kind of ended up catching up to us in, in a negative way and we, we couldn't really get behind that not just because of how we felt about Gracia from his time earlier on but just because it felt like we were we were not sticking to a plan we were just panicking very early into a season and it was an absolute disaster from then on and really we just haven't recovered from that on or off the field at, at this point anyway Jordan you put out um, a request for some questions from some fans and uh, the fans have answered so we're going to try our best to uh, to give you some answers to those the first one comes from Hanson Ho uh, these are all from Twitter he's asking is this 
decision that's been made a results-based decision or do we think it's because Ibich refused to play a formation the Pozos wanted him to play? I mean, ultimately, results obviously are going to play a, a, a big, big part in it. In terms of formation, I mean, look, he, he was he was relatively hamstrung by the players he had available to him. So the three-at-the-back system isn't a system he's favoured throughout his, his managerial career. It's something that he's used at times to, to you know, varying success. He, he did pretty well with it at Maccabi and he managed to use that system to to integrate his, his better players and, and get a performance out of them, which, again, is something that we saw from him as a positive, which we didn't quite get to see. Um, at Watford but I, I don't think it's about a formation particularly I know we I know we had conversations when when Pearson was there and there was talk of of the club having frustrations at how he was setting up the team um, but in this one I, I, I don't think it I don't think it is so much that I think it is really just not seeing the the performances from the players and, and I think it's the manner regardless of formation it's the manner and way in the way we approach games which I I would imagine would have affected the board we've had no problems with playing that three at the back system especially in the championship in in in, in times past so I I do think it's the performances and and the manner in which we approach the games and the way we lost at times and the way we drew away from home I just don't think that's going to sit well with with the with the pots as when they want to get back in the Premier League and that sort of football at this point this season it's it's not going to get us there so I, I don't think it was so much the formation though. Okay, uh, Tom, this one's probably a good one for you. Andy Walsh uh, wants to know if maybe the sacking had something to do with the fact that journalists weren't really able to build up a rapport with Ivic. Now, uh, previously, you used to be the Watford uh, Observer uh, journalist. You would go along to all of the games and and, uh, and and basically watch them and then talk to the people afterwards, the managers of... Your, who the manager was your, Tom? Was it, was it Gianfranco Zola? Was he the guy in charge? When uh, no, I, did, I didn't have Zola, but I had a bit of... Well, any, anyone in that season that we got promoted and then the Kike Sanchez-Flores right. season as well. So so, so do you feel that... Um, because obviously all of, a lot of these press conferences were, were on Zoom, do you feel as though... Something that I mean, it, well, this won't be the key reason, surely, but um, yeah. that part of the reason could be because he wasn't able to build up a very good rapport with the journalists. So, a kind of the representation of the fans is, is is the journalists asking the questions that the fans ultimately want to want to get the response from. Do you know? I think as you rightly say, it's not it's not going to be the reason, but it, it can't have helped that uh, you know he's been unable to build a proper rapport with the the guys covering the club week in, week out. And and to be honest, he's probably not got the same volume of people covering the club week in, week out. We're a bigger draw. Now we're back in the championship than than we were the season. Uh, We were promoted. And obviously when we were in the Premier League, we weren't, you know, top of the pecking order. But by dint of being a Premier League club, there were more uh, journalists at press conferences each and and games each and every week than than previously. For example, when Slavisa Jakanovic was unveiled, it was myself and Adam Newson, who's obviously been on this podcast numerous times we were the only two reporters there at uh, at the training ground and you know they could host the the press conference in inverted commas at the training ground so I think uh, you know if you don't have people in your corner in the media then the message that gets out and the kind of mood music around the manager is is less likely to be positive that said I think the reporting has been very good and, and and very fair but what probably hasn't helped is that supporters have been unable to really form an opinion of their own by being at games and uh you know not obviously you go to a game and you, you speak to the manager yourself but just i don't know there's just something isn't there different about being able to go to the game and see what the manager is doing the the, the entire game plan how he uh you know resp- responds to things how he interacts with his players how he interacts with the crowd i think that is it's a it's a kind of a very soft reason but i think it 
it, it helps and it, it contributes. So I certainly don't think that the kind of the current situation and the fact that the reporters haven't been able to get to know Ivic in person very easily won't have helped his um, his coverage and the kind of the feeling from Watford fans towards him. They had what two or two or three home games, and there were two thousand people there who probably few of them, if any, went more than once. It's it's difficult, isn't it? It is difficult. Um, another question, this one from Jonathan Rogers. He wants to know if we think the sacking is fair, given that Gino and Scott and the players should all share part of the blame, to be honest. And uh, I suppose we can all answer this one. Uh, for me, I would say that on balance, something needed to be done. I wasn't sure really if that meant he had to be sacked. I never like to see managers sacked too early, to be honest, because they've been given a remit, which is for a whole season. And you know, he has done some good things this season, but there clearly was something that needed to be sorted and the board decided that the best way they could do that was by replacing him. But what about you guys? Do you think uh, it was fair? I mean, it's, it's, you can argue it's fair. It's, I mean, it's not fair in some ways. It's really what other options they have. They can't, they can't sack the players. They can't sack them. So they're not going to sack themselves. So you're naturally going to, the manager's going to always be the first one and is going to be put in that situation. And, Look, I, th- I think what what needs to be seen is how they respond to it, and then you can decide how fair it is. If if you respond, if they respond to it well, and they do self assess, and they they work out a, a cohesive way of moving forward, and they they take the right steps, I'm sure there'll be some bumps along the way. But if they generally push in the right direction, then yeah, you can say it's fair. Um, but look, as you say, he's he's come in with a plan for a whole season. I think he's he's had promises that aren't met. Whether that's the club's fault or just the, the nature of the situation he's managing in. Is never going to be perfect anyway, but he 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 did struggle in the end. So ultimately, he's he's going to have to be responsible for it, and it's part of the job. And it's a shame we don't like to see him getting sacked either. And everyone wanted him to succeed, but we are where we are. So the board were going to make a decision, and it's never quite going to feel fair from all parties. It's very rare that everyone's happy with it. So it's it's hard to say that it feels fair in in some ways. And for me, well, it's one of those where I wasn't someone that was calling for him to be sat necessarily, but it became, as we said, at the, you know, right at the top, I think your first question was, did you expect it? It got to the point where I thought, yeah, I, I expect it and I can make peace with it in my head. As as uh, Jordan said, that, you know, the, the blame does have to be shared around, though. The, the club has not been totally innocent in this. The players have certainly not been totally innocent in this and, the easiest thing to change is the head coach so that's why we do it as often as we do um you would hope that lessons have been learned or we're certainly never going to find out again as, as jordan referenced the uh the infamous uh, at your place with, with scott duxbury saying that he wouldn't uh touch upon the lessons that the club have learned you would like to think now would be the time to show a bit of humility and and, and kind of give something back to supporters in explaining a bit more the process and, and why they've come to this decision but i suspect we will hear very little and that's the thing too like i don't i don't want to put blame on the players specifically i know there's definitely a, a narrative that players have too much power and you know they're having a say in things i i don't want a bit too much into that but at the same time you can definitely see it playing a part and not that you want the club to be stubborn and you don't want us to to suffer for it but part of me did want to see if it stay regardless of of the performances of the players because we could see there was a drop in that and we talk about Kapu earlier as one example and there were others and you just feel like there's, there's something that just feels a little bit a little bit disappointing that we kind of feel like as a squad they've gotten away with it again and 
I don't think you can get anyone that's really less compromising than Nivich when it comes to dealing with them sort of personality. So I don't really know how we address that now. Um, I mean, I think at, you, you can see it from any level. If you've been involved in a dressing room in any any capacity, you know how little minute details of, of, of the individual players can have an impact and even if it's some of it's subconscious but ultimately they have to take responsibility too so it kind of something feels something feels a bit rotten when when you see him when you see someone lose his job when it's it's he has blamed taking it but it's also not just him it's a, it's a it's a coalition of errors that have all come together and and it's affected him individually more than any i guess but yeah it just something just feels a bit off about it it just doesn't feel doesn't sit well Another question here, this one from Spose, at Spivy Spose on Twitter. Um, it's one that we've kind of covered, but I think we, should, we could go into it again. It's it, What he wants to know is, is it possible after five coaches in two years, if ownership is the problem, are the players the problem? Obviously, we've had uh, moments of grace amid the decline, that they like to the FA Cup run and the Liverpool win, all good things. But, uh, you know, that many coaches in a short space of time means the ownership is a mess, is, is what he's saying. And you know, I think there's something to be said there. Uh, yeah, a mess is quite harsh. I think you know you can't argue with the fact that the Potsos have have owned clubs for a, for a long, long time, thirty plus years now. Scott Duxbury is a pretty experienced uh, football administrator, albeit he's got some blemishes on his record. But I think, as we have said, they it's hard not to kind of start to lose a little bit of faith with the decision making that happens at the football club because. A successful club, uh, you know, that is well run and and sensibly run, doesn't sack and appoint as many coaches as we do. Now, you could argue that we're kind of predisposed to think that you know a manager should be you know in the the sort of Sir Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger ilk, where they're in this country. This is that they're all kind of all powerful. They're in charge of everything. They're you know allowed to become dynastic managers. I think we've moved away from that. But I think there's a happy medium between you know the way we kind of operate and the way, the way those uh, managers were allowed to to operate as well. And I, I do question. And and Jordan said it earlier. The the return of Kike Sanchez Flores was the first one that I really questioned. And I wrote a piece at the time saying. As much, I just can't understand why they've turned back to a bloke that they deemed not suitable, you know, a couple of years prior, three years prior, whatever it was. Um, it does feel to me like uh, the the tide and taking the the barometer from from Twitter here predominantly has begun to, if not turn against them, then at least not be overwhelmingly in their favour. Um, and you know, from the position of you know, they were kind of. You know, you could have, you could have carried Gino Pozzo through the the high street, couldn't you? When we got promoted, and and and, and people would have been buying him drinks in every bar. But I think they have done some damage to their reputation at the club in in recent times. Certainly, I don't think people are completely naive to the fact that the 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 decision makers have to take a portion of the blame in all of this as well. I, I know also part of his question too uh, relates to the 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 way that coaches are used in in uh, American sports, NFL, NBA. And yeah, just touching on that, I, I know exactly what he's saying. It's, it's, it's generally a much longer process for coaching. I think the, the big the big difference there is that the stakes involved in in football and soccer is different in the sense that you have that that league system that's constantly changing. So whereas you might be struggling 
you can write off a season you're not really too hurt by it you end up with a better draft pick and you also aren't going to be relegated and, and really sacrifice the longevity of your club so naturally things are going to be moving a little bit quickly a little bit more quickly and you have to be you have to be a bit more short term with how things are uh, in terms of long term managers it's very difficult for a club, club our size to to operate in that way i mean you talk about you, you mentioned there yourself tom wenger and Ferguson and so on have, have had success they're all managers that are at the top end and there's a reason for that if we have a manager that's that's extremely successful he's not going to be with us for 10 years and if it, it, it just doesn't work like that managers get moved they move on they have aspirations so if you set yourself up as a club to 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 be tied to one manager and give them that much power then ultimately you're going to suffer from it and we might see that at Bournemouth in time and that was always going to be very tricky for them to to recover from uh, moving on with from Howe because so much of that club was tied into him and you can look at other examples, Burnley and Deitch. Where does the club go if they if they move on? And I, I, personally, I don't want my club to be tied to a, to a man which which leads in that position. And I think going about it in a way which makes that head coach expendable, I, I do think it, it does make sense if you look at it from a pragmatic standpoint. If you reduce if you reduce the importance of the role as much as possible, you try and mitigate that through controlling the recruitment and you have some continuity in certain areas of coaching and you can bring that, that head coach in to, to, to have his say and to, and to create what we see on the pitch. But then if he does leave and when he leaves, you, you don't have too much disruption and that goes for the same with the playing staff too we try and keep that that continuity in a sense of having the replacements in mind so it's not a terrible way of doing things but I mean we've suffered from it in the end it's unfortunate because I, I do think the narrative that was created about us sacking our managers all the time and having no idea what we're doing we all knew as fans really that we, we did kind of know what we're doing and and now we've almost lived up to the fact that, that it feels like we don't and it's frustrating because it does come across as a mess and I think recently it has been but I think it's harsh to say throughout their ownership it's been a mess because I don't think it's quite that black and white okay good point there Jordan um last question here from a, a fan that's written in it's Jason Farquhar and he wants to know who's coming in to replace Ivic well I don't think anyone's know for certain but um <laughs> what I can say is that uh it will probably be Omar Riza probably alongside Graham Stack initially, uh, unless the club are about to announce somebody uh, that, 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 we, that we don't know about. He's, um, a 40, he's 41. He was a striker for Cambridge United and then he played in the Turkish League at Trabzonspor and later on uh, nearby Boreham Wood. And he took his first steps into management recently, he managed Leighton Orient and um, he didn't have a great uh, first time as, as a manager in fact in his first game he uh, he was sent to the stands for abusing the referee and and he eventually took uh Leighton Orient down to the National League um he then joined Watford in 2018 um as a coach and he's been promoted to the under-23s this October and he'll probably be the man uh in charge against Norwich unless something is announced before then the front runners for the job are Zisco Munoz at six to four Paul Cook at five to one Slavin Bilic at seven to one, and Eddie Howe is on eight to one. Those are the the bookies and how they've got them. Um, guys, what what do we think uh, about who could come in for this? Do you have other names for me? And and what what do you what do you think are your um your favourites? Your yeah, I'll start. Um, in terms of in terms of who we could get in, uh, someone I talked about prior to 
prior to Ivic was uh, Javier Calera, who who had time at Villarreal and had a lot of success there. And I thought he suited our squad coming into the season. I think he'd still he'd still be quite a good fit. Um, whether or not we're able to to actually get him right now, he is unemployed. But it, it's a case of whether he'll feel like making that move. And, and honestly, it's very hard to judge who's going to fit well because of everything that's going on. We don't know exactly what the situation is at the club so it's hard but just based on a footballing perspective in terms of what we've seen on the pitch and and how he uses teams I think that'd be a good fit for us and it would maybe utilize some more of that attacking talent we have in the team um and then touching on Cisco Munoz as well I think I, I think we've got to be careful as fans not to get too caught I, I've mentioned this on Twitter but not to get too caught up in their in their career uh, where they've been and 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 what what their experience is so far because it's not it's not the same. We can't quantify their ability the same way that you can a player when we can talk about what division they're suited for, what level they can play at, because managing is a completely, completely different task and they're not capped by, by physical ability. It's something that's a, it's a cerebral job that it's something they learn and that they, they have the ability to do and you can't always judge it based on where they're currently at. So I think we've got to be a little bit open-minded and in some ways we've got to trust um you've got to trust the the club in the sense that they're going to be the ones that can do the due diligence to a level that we can't so i think we we just have to look at what they're doing on the pitch and it's harder to look at these guys that are kind of a little bit lesser known and less experienced but i wouldn't write them off so early um so yeah I, i'm not gonna write him off at all um it'll be an interesting one but if he's the favorite generally there's there's a reason for that especially for someone that's so rare to the obscure there's definitely something in there what about you tom yeah, I'll tell you what, the the one that off that list, and I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a nonsense list. The idea, I don't know why the bookmaker, apart from making money, I don't know why the bookmakers bother. To be quite honest, you're never going to second guess Potso, are you? When it comes to appointing someone, I'd never heard of this uh, this Cisco chap. Honestly, I had to double check if it was the the striker that uh, Newcastle signed a few years ago, well, quite a few years ago, that uh, forced Kevin Keegan to resign. Um, when I, when I saw his name, I wasn't sure if he he got on enough that he was now coaching. But in in, in all seriousness, I think um, the one off that list that excites me, but I would think, oh yeah, I'd quite like the idea of that is uh, is Slaven Bilic, and purely because he made made West Brom into quite an attacking team last year. You know, really put an emphasis on on getting the best out of the forward players that um, they had, and they had some excellent forwards. And I think that's the thing that. Um, Ivic essentially failed to do, didn't he? If you if you if you boil down his regime, he had a, he had a style of play and he tightened us up defensively in, in the most part. But um, you know, our, our attacking output. One of the biggest things you would kind of hold against him is he didn't get the best out of the fours that we have. And I'm you know I'm particularly talking about someone like Ismail Assar, who seemed to be, you know, in my mind, is the kind of the caliber of player. The fact that you've still got him, you kind of build the team around him to a point, and he almost seemed to be a bit of a bit of an afterthought in in that respect so i think i think he is he is one of them I, I don't really think apart from this this isco chap that any of the rest of the isco chap or the rest of them are particularly uh likely or, or credible option you know eddie howe absolutely no ch- more chance that potso gives one of us a ring this afternoon and, and <laughs> offers us the job quite you know famous last it. words of problem. fingers crossed yes, i wouldn't say no. that's it uh, well i think i think there are there were worse ideas um <laughs> and to be honest i wouldn't be opposed to eddie howe by the way for the record but it's just not it's just not the profile is it you know it's just I find that hard to believe. And so, in terms of in in, in terms of, of who comes next, I would be staggered if it's anyone off that, or I'd be surprised if it was anyone off that list. Um, and I've kind of trained myself almost out of having too much expectation of of anyone 
coming in and I just kind of wait and see who comes in and, and do a bit of research and, and see what they're about and, and, and whether I think they can be a, a good fit and on, on that basis I like I like the cut of Ivic's jib so I am sorry that it's that it's come to this you know it's hard to get kind of had the same enthusiasm um, that we yeah. once did for, for, the, for the new coaches coming in because he just it's very it's very difficult we've attacked it in so many different ways it's very difficult to see what has to, what we do need for it to work you know it's very difficult to see what what mold of coach and personality we need to, to see a reaction so i think it is it's difficult because it's it's a constantly evolving situation and you you almost don't want to get you almost don't want to get too attached um so yeah i think it's gonna be really really difficult for us to kind of assess from that standpoint but I mean, as you said, the names that are mentioned aren't, aren't overly inspiring. But for me, it doesn't really matter who it is necessarily. I just want to, I want to, I want to see the reasoning behind it when it happens, and I want to, I want to feel like it's a decision that's well made. And I know what you're saying about about Bilic, and I, I understand that too. But I just don't want to feel like we're doing that because it's just the best available for now. And we'll reassess in the summer and see where we're at. It does feel like we want to be in a situation where we're making more of a long-term plan. But at the same time, it's very difficult to do so mid-season when, when managers aren't available. So we're in a very difficult situation. But I think all we can do um, in terms of how we cover the team and, and, and look at what's going on, I think we just have to assess what we see on the pitch and, and try and work out where we're going to be going and how, how we're going to set up and what we should expect to see. I put a poll up this morning to gauge uh, who might be the fans' favourite. And uh, after about 70-ish votes, Slavin Bilic has emerged as a clear favourite with 50%. But uh, I, I, one of the, the options I put up there was somebody else and 40% of, of people think that it should be somebody else. So I'd be surprised if it was Hal that, he, that was given the job. Although maybe may, maybe um, an, an English manager is what the, the club needs because when Pearson came in, I don't know, it felt like the players enjoyed working with an English manager. Maybe it was because of the Pearson, the way that he was. But there certainly is something to, to be said about having a, another go of another English manager. But then also, we, we should probably mention that, um, you know, Slavin Bilic got 50% of those votes. I mean, it's a very, very small uh, amount of people that we're taking our, um, our potentials here from. But, um, you know, clearly people like the fact that he's a name um, and that he's done stuff before in, in the championship. In, in regards to in regards to talking about an English manager coming in, I think part of the reason that the team as a whole responded well to Pearson at first, I, I do kind of get the impression that, I, firstly, I think we went back to basics in a way. I think we maybe started to overcomplicate things a little bit and it, we, we weren't feeling good in, in the way we were playing football. And I think Pearson added a, a, a decent balance in terms of how he set his team up and he kind of went back to kind of a more simplistic view, which which helped a lot of the players you know perform. Um, but I also think too, I think Pearson has an, an an air about him and a history of, of avoiding relegation as we touched on earlier I think it just gave it gave the players a little bit of confidence that someone was in control um, and that's just something I was going to ask too it's something I've felt for a while but since I even the season we got promoted I do feel like there's there's been a continuing thread for me of I, I do feel like there's an a slight air of like mental fragility um, fragility sorry in, in the team and we just don't quite seem to be able to cope in some big moments. And maybe every team feels like this. Every every fan feels like their, their club has this because often it feels like we get let down as football fans. But I, I do feel there's a there's a, a slight a slight weakness in the team when it when it comes to to certain points. We've seen it throughout various seasons. Almost a, a level of imposter syndrome. We've been in the Premier League where I, I just kind of get the impression that some players don't 
don't feel like they fully belong there and it, it was just I, I can't quite put a finger on exactly exactly what the feeling was but I think being at the games and and being able to pick up on the nuances of, of being there live and, and seeing how the the players react to certain situations their body language and and even when we were in good patches of form it always felt to me slightly fickle and it wasn't quite as as solid as I expected it to be for where we were performing does that make sense at all yeah I think so <sighs> What frustrates me, I think, above all else, at, at this time when we're when we're, you know, on the verge of an, another manager coming in, is that it feels all so avoidable. If the if the club believe in a manager in the first place enough enough to appoint him, I presume they didn't pay any uh, compensation. They, I don't think they ever do. If if I don't, I'm just racking my brains, I don't think we've ever appointed one. But you do feel like you you should give that manager the best chance, and I just wonder if that hasn't always been the case for a variety of reasons. And I just hope that at some point, if they learn nothing else, that it should be to to give that manager, you know, not everything, as we talked, as Jordan rightly said, and articulately kind of explained that the model is very much that the, the head coach can kind of be moved in and out and doesn't mean wholesale change and disruption in every aspect of the club. And I think that's the sensible modern way of running a football club, 100%. But I do also think that, there, there needs to be some introspection at, at this point because, you know, people are saying it and, and they're saying it for a reason. Five head coaches in, um, you know, little over a year is is absolutely ridiculous and is not a way to run a football club. Uh, next up is Norwich on Boxing Day, a Norwich side that is now nine points ahead of Watford. Uh, I think that's probably part of the reason why the decision was taken because Norwich are, are getting just too far ahead now and, and you know, Watford really have their eyes on 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 those two automatic promotion places yeah i mean a way off norwich right now in terms of in terms of where they're at and and how they're moving forward i think norwich they were they were very fortunate in in terms of well not fortunate because it's self-made but they were they're in a good position based on the fact that they, they've set up well to have little disruption you can argue um from a norwich perspective how 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 positive that is for them going forward in the sense that they they haven't really been able to kind of continue to stay in the Premier League in, in the recent seasons and they've got promoted. They haven't quite been able to make that kick on, but they have been able to be stable. And this is the perfect year to have stability. So they kind of already made and they could have less transition between the two divisions and it kind of put them in that situation to be a step ahead, especially with a shortened pre-season and, and small turnover in terms of their, their playing staff and coaching staff. So yeah, they're in a good position. And they, they are probably, a season or so ahead of us in terms of that um, but they operate in a different way to us so we can't we can't compare ourselves to them too closely but in terms of the game coming up I think it's going to be extremely difficult because as I said they are ahead of us and, and they're in a, a more complete well-rounded situation in how they operate on and off the pitch right now so it's going to be an extremely tough match but you never know we've got the quality in the team to, to put on the performance and it will be interesting to see obviously there could be a new coach in charge by then there, there might not be so it's, it's hard to predict too much right now but I think as fans I think the thing we'll want to see is a little bit more of a little bit more freedom uh, in attacking areas of the pitch mm. so if we if we get to see something positive in that regards even if we do lose even if we draw I think seeing just some positivity and even if we get to see the players just enjoy their football and, and, and maybe just look a bit different on the pitch we might we might start to feel a little bit better about things and it might be a bit of a, a indicator as how the rest of the season could go. Tom, do you think that we'll have a manager in charge for Norwich? Yeah, I do. They tend to operate very quickly, don't they? The owners and, and, and the decision makers. I'd be very surprised if we don't have one 
um, you know, in the next probably 48 hours. In fact, there's a very real danger that if we talk much longer, they will have appointed someone and made us look all out of the loop. But by the time this podcast hits people's devices, because it does tend to be pretty, um, pretty quick, doesn't it? I, and I just think they've probably made this decision at a, t- a point where they've let it go on as long as they feel like they can, and, you know, given up as much ground as they can. You know, every game is crucial, isn't it? And, and, uh, the the Norwich game kicks off a run of of games between now and the kind of the the start of the new year that look, uh, you know, look pretty uh, pretty pretty imperative, pretty pretty crucial in terms of our hopes for the rest of the season. So I'd, I'd be staggered if they waste time appointing the new man. They will presumably have a fairly strong idea of who that person will be already when they sacked uh, Vladimir Ivic, I should say. What do we? What qualities do we want from the new manager? And and do we feel like there is a style of football or a formation that we've seen that the players have responded to best, and and that's the way we want the new manager to play? Or is it just you know come in, bring you new ideas, try whatever you want, but just like the last guy, you've got a limited period of time, and if it doesn't work for you then they'll just get another guy in and, and, and the, the chain of uh, replacing managers will just carry on in, until something happens. Look, I think this is the, this is the thing. Was, we saw it when we sacked Gracia very early on. If you don't, in the season, you don't have the time to be particularly picky. You don't have the, you're not really in a position right now to make the long-term appointment. That, that, I think where maybe the lack of enthusiasm of a new manager coming in it comes from is the fact that we, we kind of still feel like there's a good chance we'll be trying to make that long-term, if we ever do make a long-term solution or try and find one, it's not going to come again to the summer. So you don't have the luxury of time to identify exactly what you want and bring that in you might get lucky it's possible and you might just have the opportunity but if we're talking about formations and, and, and minute details of, of how we approach games and tactics and I, I just don't think we really have the opportunity to do that I think the most important thing is we bring in someone that has an idea of how to bring a little bit of balance to the squad we have got some good players in there and, and bringing someone in that can can get the most out of them players I know that's a very cliche thing to say but I mean someone that knows how to to create a, a cohesive attack and use the likes of, of Saar and, and Will Hughes and his back and and Jao Pedro and other other talented players we have uh, and offer a little bit of balance because ultimately the championship requires you to to be offensively structured and, and have some some cohesion up there and we, we hadn't quite seen that uh, and that's something we touched on with David defenses have, have gotten better so you have to be a little bit more astute when it comes to attacking in the championship and you it, we, we did see that it was very difficult to rely on that defensive style so I think someone that's a little bit more offensively minded um, and someone that can just add a little bit more balance and, and and just help create us create us some semblance of, of cohesion in, in that final third. Okay. Um, final one for you all. Who would you like to come in? If you could pick anybody in the world, um, let's let's uh, make it a realistic answer rather than um, uh, 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 picking Pep Guardiola. But um, who, who, who would you like to come in? Who would you like to see come in? Yeah, <laughs> complete, won't happen, <laughs> but complete romanticism. Big Slav getting back. Uh, I just loved his his reign, and he got a lot out of our forward players, didn't he? So, obviously, won't happen because I think he's got too much integrity and is probably too pissed off at the the hierarchy still. But uh, that would that would be my ideal scenario. I think out of the ones that we've talked about, who are likely, I think Kalea is 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 something that we could look towards I do think he's kind of got that I know there's talk of us wanting a younger kind of more positive coach and I think he's someone that can do that I think he's his early 40s and he's he's shown at his time at Villarreal that he, he 
he has the ability to to get some offensive production from your team and be expressive, but not at the not sacrificing the defensive side of the game. He is he does understand that, and he he knows how to set his team up well. I think ultimately, right now, if we, if we're going to be if we're going to be serious, and our objective is to get promoted, then we need someone that can come in and, and play and play that football early on. Um, I think for me, if we're looking for a long term appointment, then we almost have to accept writing this season off, or at least the possibility of that. I think there's kind of two ways we approach this now. Either we approach it in win now we've got players in the books that are taking up a lot of money uh, and we have to win with these players right now or we then have to rebuild in the summer or we use this as a, an extra six month period to possibly get payoffs but nail down the way we want to play and a, a way we want to move forward as a club and try and hire someone that we that we move forward with but in that case we have to accept that if we hire them they're staying until the next season when they have a full pre-season and we use this rest of the season as, as an extended pre-season with the possibility of, of more happening um, but yeah I think Kalea is someone that can fit in to either of those roles uh, but again it just depends on the situation if if it's something that he's interested in and if it's something that, that we can actually get done then yeah it's a possibility but it's very very hard for us as fans to uh, to try and assess who we want to come in because it's really hard to see what, what qualities we need for it to, to be a long term success both on and off the pitch I'm going to put uh, put one out there, and I don't think anyone will will believe this is a possibility. But it's, don't say it, McLaren. It's, it's again, it's a dream one. No, it's not going to be McLaren. I'm going to go for Rafa Benitez um, because we've seen that he knows the the championship. He's got Newcastle promoted from there. He uh, he's you know a quality manager. He's been at all sorts of places, and I feel as though. Maybe a few seasons ago, Watford wouldn't have been of the high-profile level that he would have considered. But I think because of Watford's spell in the Premier League for a period of time that kind of boosted their, their level up a bit, I, I think it's not such a, an outlandish thing to suggest that he might be interested in coming to the Londonish area and, and, and managing again. And, you know, I think he could probably do something with those players because I, I do think that sometimes... The, the the quality of a manager that that um that the sort of the level that he he gives off that uh, players will react to that and I I believe that um if if I'm a player and I'm thinking oh this amazing guy that that's been at many different clubs Valencia Liverpool Chelsea uh, Napoli Real Madrid is coming in to manage me I think that that would improve my game um and I think that he would be probably my number one candidate. He hasn't even been mentioned, which means that it's never going to happen. Uh, the bookies would have him at least in the top 10 if he was uh, uh, an outside chance. Um, the last club that he was at was Dalian Professional, which I think is a Chinese China. Super League club, isn't it? But That's yeah. a good suggestion, I think. I think it's not, I mean, I, I, yeah, I completely get where you're coming from, especially when we're talking about um, as championship fans, like Rafa Benitez dropping down to championship kind of gives you all hope, doesn't he? A little bit when, when, when your manager goes, you kind of think, I think a lot of fans I've seen with, with clubs that have lost their manager over the course of the season or pre-season have all kind of looked towards Benitez as a high-end potential uh, incoming manager. So, yeah, I think I think that that would I mean, hundred percent that would be a, a good option for us if we were able to convince them. I think there is there is a bit of a possibility, as you say. I mean, perhaps you can use the draw of London a little bit too. But also, I think Rafa Benitez seems to have 
that seems to have that part about him where he is willing to kind of buy into a club a little bit more. What he did with Newcastle, I know Newcastle is quite a specific um, side in terms of they're a big club that have that kind of that bubble of Newcastle that kind of gives you that little that intimate feel of this big club. You're you're part of something a little bit bigger, and maybe we don't quite have that. But if if he's if he's up for a project and he, and he wants something along those lines, then it could be it could be a potential. But I think what you touched on too is is a good point in regards to. His, his history of how he's worked and I said earlier about not judging too much the manager too much on their previous history and, and where they are now but in terms of a player perspective that, that can play an impact and what I tried to touch on earlier in regards to, to the, the mental state of the team I do think we respond we would respond well as, as, an, as a unit to, to a coach like that I, I do think we, uh, we've got a lot of players that look for a leader and I think that's what I was trying to say in regards to Pierce. And I think they did for a while at least feel like they found that. And they're not a great group of players to to lead themselves. I know we have Troy, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much of a captain he is in that capacity. And I think someone like that could make a big difference. So I think it's all just. I think it's important to have someone that that everyone feels confident about. And and perhaps if there is that respect, you wouldn't get the same feeling of uh, dropping performance when it comes to some. Uh, some disgruntled players in the squad. One question is though that if I'm uh, if I am Rafa Benitez, I think I'd be worried about going to someone like Watford on the basis that if I, if it doesn't work for me straight away, I'll be out of a job pretty quickly, and it could harm my my status as a manager if if uh, if I've become a number statistic that um you know of a, of a, of a Watford sacking. Uh, and I think that's probably something that a few managers will be asking themselves if they think that going to Watford is the right step for them and it it kind of feels like it's only really the right step for someone who's making a move up rather than you know a, a move a move down or sideways I, I don't know what do, what do you think on that one Tom I don't know if managers think like that particularly the kind of managers that we appoint i.e the out of work I maybe I'm oversimplifying it a little bit but I reckon that uh, if you're offered the opportunity to work for Watford and the expectation is promotion and you've got your Ishmael Assars and Will Hughes and uh, Etienne Capoue and Joao Pedro and what have you, you look at that and go I can do that the inherent kind of I don't want to say arrogance but confidence that you must have to have as a manager or a head coach means that you would look at that and go I can make something work with that you know people kept taking the Blackburn job when the Venkies were at the the height of their craziness you know ditto leads with Massimo Cellino and so on I, I think we have a better reputation than that so I don't I think it might make people think twice or maybe think about just renting an apartment rather than buying a place but <laughs> I, I suspect it wouldn't it wouldn't put people off uh, in entirely it's also low risk for them too because the general consensus is, is often going to be it was harsh anyway so it's sure, pretty yeah. low risk in, in, in a lot of ways I don't think that they have to worry so much about uh, disgracing themselves because ultimately if someone sees in the CV they were they were fired from Watford it's, it's not the same as as when they look at uh, when they look at other clubs they've been released from so I, I don't think it's particularly um, scary for a coach to come in in that regard but it might even work in your favour in a strange way Right, that's it then from this uh, special episode today, which has been uh, centering all around Vladimir Ivic and also a bit on Huddersfield as well and that disappointment. 
We'll be back after Boxing Day to discuss the Norwich game and also potentially talk about a new Watford manager as well. Have a great Christmas, everybody, and enjoy it in any way that you can, even if you're in Tier 4, as am I, which will be uh, well, a very different Christmas from usual. But we have to get on with it. We have to be safe and protect our families. Uh, Tom, any plans for Christmas? Absolutely none as of yesterday. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's the same for so many of us. Jordan, though, thankfully, you are not based uh, in one of the Tier 4 places because you're, you're living in Canada. Well, obviously, COVID has affected the entire world, but what's it like for you there? What are the restrictions? Is everything going to be OK for you for Christmas? Yeah, I mean, it's fairly restricted. There are, there are limited numbers and so on. It's not, it's not quite as uh, heavy as you guys, but, um, yeah, I mean, we'll be having a relatively quiet one. So, yeah, it won't be... Uh, it won't be the the busiest Christmas period of the year, but it should be okay for us. Good stuff. Well, the Christmas present that I am most looking forward to opening is a present from the club in the form of a new manager. And fingers crossed it's the one that can deliver Watford promotion back to the Premier League. Although from where things are looking right now, it's going to be a tough ask, but it certainly is possible. Uh, well, from Tom, from Jordan and from myself, it's goodbye and Merry Christmas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.